Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone. Welcome to This is the Place, a podcast series from The Common Magazine on the New Books Network. The Common publishes literature and art with a modern sense of place. I'm Emily Everett, managing editor of the magazine and host of the channel. Today, we'll be talking to Suhail Matar about his story, Granada, which appears in a portfolio of fiction from Palestinian writers in issue 23 of The Common. The story was translated from the Arabic by Amika Fendi. Suhail Matar was born in Haifa in 1987, where he also grew up. He is finishing a PhD in neurocognitive sciences at New York University. The story, Granada, belongs to his short story collection, North of Andalusia, West of the Homeland, which was jointly awarded the Al-Khatan Foundation's 2012 Young Writer of the Year Award. Suhail Matar, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Emily. How are you? I'm good. Um, I was wondering if you could set the scene for our conversation, describe where you're living, where you're calling from now. Sure. Uh, I'm currently living in Brooklyn in the U.S., Um, just finishing a Ph.D. in uh, cognitive neuroscience at NYU, uh, New York University, and I'm calling from my office in the university. (laughs) Oh, perfect. Yeah. Um, I would love to start off with a reading. Um, I was wondering if you would read the opening of Granada for us, maybe first a little bit in Arabic and then switch to uh, the English translation by Amika Fendi. Sure. Uh, so I'm going to read a, a little bit from the Arabic, just like, the, I guess, the first couple of um, paragraphs. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, here it goes. لنرى إن كان يعمل الآن أجل ها هو سمع عايد الجزء الثاني من الجملة داخل محل الشاورما الذي يعمل فيه في شارع البيرة فالتفت واسترجع في ذهنه جزءها الأول الذي قيل في زحمة الشارع المسائية السلام عليكم عايد وعليكم السلام كيف حالك يا طوني أجاب بالعربية كان أنطونيو صديق عايد شابا بشوشا يكثر من المزاح الذي يطغى عليه الطابع الجنسي ويتعلم العربية الفصحى في أحد المراكز العديدة في غرناطة كان عايد يحبه لطيبته ولأنه كان همزة وصل عايد بكل ما يحدث في غرناطة على مستوى الحياة الليلية كثيرا ما كان يأتي مصحوبا بفتاة أو أكثر سائحات على وجه العموم ليلقي على عايد تحية في مكان عمله ويدعوه قبل أن يغمزه إلى الانضمام إليهم بعد انتهائه من الدوام لهذا السبب تفاجأ عايد عندما رأى أنطونيو بصحبة شاب نحيل وقصير القامة بدأ على وجهه الارتباك الواضح المموه بنصف ابتسامة والذي حي عايد بإيماءة من رأسه وقوله عوافي الحمد لله أجابه أنطونيو بتلهف وتابع مشيرا إلى الشاب هذا خالي هادي قال الشاب لأنطونيو متبسما ثم تفت إلى عايد وقال مبررا أنا هادي الشاب هون قال لي انه في واحد صاحبه من غزه فجينا نسلم عليك. So that's the end of the, uh, uh, the Arabic part. Uh, should I do the English one now? Yes, please. All right. Let's see if he's working now. Yes, there he is. I had heard these sentences inside the shawarma shop where he worked on Calle Elvira. As he turned around, he recalled what had been uttered just previously in the middle of the evening rush. Assalamu alaikum, Ayyad. Wa alaikum assalam. How are you, Tony? He answered in Arabic. Antonio, Ayyad's friend, was an amicable young man who joked quite a lot in a manner that erred on the sexual side. 
He also was learning Fusha at one of the many language centers in Granada. Ayad liked him for his good nature and because he was Ayad's umbilical cord to the happenings in Granada's nightlife. Tony often came accompanied by one girl or several, for the most part tourists, to say hi to Ayad at his workplace. He would then ask him, before throwing him a knowing wink, to join them after his shift. So Ayad was puzzled when he saw that Antonio's escort was a lanky short guy today. The guy's face was smeared with an obvious awkwardness, camouflaged under a half-smile. The young man greeted Ayad with a nod and said, How are you doing? Alhamdulillah, answered Antonio excitedly, and he went on pointing at the young man. Hadi, 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 said the young man to Antonio, smiling widely. Then he turned to Ayad and explained, I'm Hadi. This guy told me that he had a buddy from Gaza, so I came to say hi. Thank you so much for reading that. I, I love hearing it in both languages. Yeah. Um, for our listeners who may not have read this story yet, could you sort of summarize what it's about? So this story, as um, most of the stories in uh, the collection of short stories uh, that you mentioned in the beginning, are essentially about Palestinians meeting the world. Um, so I'm a Palestinian. Uh, I'm a 48 Palestinian, which means that I have Israeli citizenship because I happen to be from, my, my family happens to be from a city that was occupied in 1948. Uh, and therefore, I hold an Israeli citizenship, but I am Palestinian. Okay. I'm not an Israeli. Um, 48 Palestinians are because of the geopolitical situation, because of the settler colonialism and the occupation, uh, we are essentially cut off from our natural milieu, right? So imagine if you're from New York, let's say, uh, and you're cut off from Vermont, from Connecticut, from New Jersey, from anything else. You can just move within the, within the U.S., your natural milieu. You can only move within the confines of New York State. Okay, this is this is a this is a, what analogy that I that I would draw. So this means that, and I guess we we didn't reach that point in the story when I just read it. But uh, Hadi is a guy from Haifa, like myself. So a, a beautiful coastal city in Palestine, uh, but he's a forty-eight Palestinian, which means that he is cut off from from the Gaza Strip. I mean, the Gaza Strip is cut off from the rest of the world at this point, but. Uh, so he got off from uh, even the, the, the natural Palestinian milieu, but also the Arab milieu. So cut off from uh, large swaths of the Arab world, like Lebanon or Syria. So this story is about the possibility of meeting. Okay, So we have two characters that cannot, in under the current circumstances, meet in Palestine. It, it is an impossible encounter, basically. The only way to have that encounter take place is to pull the characters out of their natural habitat and throw them in a foreign context. And this is what a lot of the stories are about in my collection. This one particularly is about two Palestinians meeting, one from Haifa and one from Gaza. Perfect. Thank you so much for explaining all of that. Um, I, I would love to hear how you came to write this story, um, whether that's like what inspired you to start work on it or, or what the process of the first draft was like. So I wrote um, these stories around uh, 10 years ago after a long three-month journey across uh, Spain 
the whole country. Uh, at the time, I just finished my master's. I, uh, I had been studying Spanish for about a year, and I just wanted to practice and like be away and free for the first time. Um, and so I was traveling around the, the country, and it started out just like a, as, a, as like a, a normal backpacking sort of journey. But I quickly came to realize that all the life that I led back in Palestine was... Uh, intrinsically confined by the realities that I that, that 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 we have to live there, right? So things like you cannot travel for more than a few hours by car because there is hard borders that uh, that you cannot cross. Uh, like the inability or the the lack of access to large populations of the world, right? Because as Palestinians, we don't have any agency over who can visit us. Right, no one in the world can enter Palestine without passing through an Israeli checkpoint or border control. Right, so we had no control over who we can invite or who we can welcome. It is only those people that the Israeli state allows in that we have access to. So, in order to meet the world, we have to go outside, and being outside for uh, a long period of time the longest period of time at for me at that time was really eye-opening and it allowed me to meet a lot of uh, different kinds of people. And I started building these stories in my head uh, that I set. So each of the stories in my collection is set in a different city because the cities um, act, acted for me as like a breeding ground for a lot of interactions with people that I normally wouldn't be able to interact with. Um, yeah, so that was when I sat down to plan the different stories, I drew upon my, the experiences that I had there. I drew upon the fantasies of who I wanted to meet and what that might look like if we were to meet, right? Um, that was the initial process. Oh, that's really interesting. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you about Granada cause it's, it's just such a great backdrop for this story. Um, as you probably know, the common, pub, we focus on publishing work that focuses on place. Um, and I mean, obviously place can be an idea. It can be displacement. It can be, you know, um, being away from home, those kind of things. But, but I really love how, how grounded in, in Granada this story is. We see Ayat wandering the city on his day off. We see the sites that he likes to visit and the sites that he feels are, are sort of ruined by tourists. And it just, it feels very lived in like a real city that he has a, a very specific relationship with. So I was wondering if you could just talk about like writing Granada and, and bringing those sites into your story through Ayat. Yeah, I mean, I spent about a week in, in Granada uh, many years ago, and it was just a breathtaking place. Um, such a melange of, of, of cultures uh, that survived all these centuries, right? Like architecturally, but also you can see it in the, in the people who are there and the people who, who seek to be there, right? Like I think it attracts, I think it's a special city that attracts a, a very uh, special kind of person who wants to enjoy life, uh, wants to enjoy beauty, wants to enjoy art, wants to enjoy language and music and, and just um, being in a very rich urban environment. And so uh, I knew when I visited Granada that one of the stories had to be there. Uh, and it just made sense for me to, to bring together two Palestinians in that place. Uh, because I did meet a lot of Palestinians while in Granada. 
Interesting. Um, I'm thinking of this moment. Um, I had thinks that, that the lack of job opportunities and the sort of constant influx of new university students in Granada means that, that long lasting friendships are sort of hard to have there. Do you feel like that, that colors this new acquaintance he has with, with Hadi? Yes. I think, uh, I, is a very, uh, um, reserved person. Uh, I think having spent, uh, most of his life in the Gaza Strip. Once he uh, was able to to leave, uh, a lot of the 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 frames of reference, a lot of the, the the comparison points are still the same. So in a sense, Granada is not uh, a very big city, but it's still uh, maybe overwhelming, right? So I think as a character, he is a bit choosy about and picky about who to befriend. Um, and I think, yeah, he, he does have uh, some difficulties trusting people, understandably. Mm. Yeah, I think it's interesting because I think the, the direction, you know, one might expect the story to go is for these two people to be sort of fast friends. And, and it's really not that. I, I did feel that, that reserve from my head, like a sort of, like a, a holding back. So, yeah. okay, there's another facet to this holding back that is, I think, very important to point out, which is because we because we don't have a way to normally meet, the nature of the meeting can be very unexpected. So, yes, another pair of characters might have become super fast friends, and uh, you know might have you know exchanged. Uh, life experiences, exchanged dialects, uh, compared uh, uh, favorite recipes, you know what I mean? Uh, but these particular two guys, like one is very quiet and shy and one is reserved and sort of more wary. Um, these, these two characters bring out another uh, kind of uh, interaction. And this is especially colored by the fact that Hadi is from Haifa, right? And so he, as, as I mentioned at the beginning, he has an Israeli citizenship and that can be, uh, that, that, that can be something that weirds people out. Like, okay, you're from Haifa. Okay, this means, so uh, this was actually a very um, interesting uh, thing to point out from a translation perspective. So in the Arabic uh, perspective, uh, at the later point of the story, Hadi says, uh, Aid asks Hadi, where are you from? And Hadi says, I'm from Haifa. And uh, the, there's a lot of subtlety in how I chose to write that. So he says, I'm from Haifa. His smile contorts as he says that. And that's it. I understands the subtext. Tony, the Spanish guy, is oblivious to all of that. For, for Tony, he's just looking at two Palestinian guys. So there's no, you know, it's like, me, like meeting two Finnish guys or or two uh, Senegalese guys in a room, right? But two Palestinians meeting in a room is not uh, something that you can take for granted. And there's a lot of, sub- of, subtext, of subtext to that. So when the translator translated that, um, he asked me, or they asked me about the best way to uh, maybe explain that a little bit to the reader to the English reader. Um, I wasn't very happy about 
giving too much um, context because I think even if you don't understand why there is weirdness, as long as you get that there is some weirdness, that's fine. But in the end, I think they opted to include some sentence that explains right. the situation. Explain it a little yeah. more, I see. Oh, that's an interesting little window in the, into the translation process. I was definitely going to ask you about that moment. Because, um, yeah, it's, I think they sort of translated it sort of as Hadi seeming sort of embarrassed, almost or like apologetic or something, which, and I was, I, I think I was able to put together why, but I was very interested in that moment between them. Um, and that that being sort of a divide, not a not a unifying thing between them, yeah. Right. So, I mean, this is this is true for any forty eight Palestinian like myself meeting um, uh, most people from the Arab world wide, widely. Right. There's a lot. There's a lack of awareness about our mere existence. So a lot of people don't even know that that there are Palestinians who hold an Israeli citizenship. And that even though we we have the Israeli citizenship, that doesn't mean anything. That doesn't mean that we're uh, traitors to the cause or uh, that we're not Palestinian enough. No, we are. We're, we're fully Palestinian. We just happen to be from that group that wasn't uh, expelled or kicked out in '48. So we're descendants of that group. Uh, we're we're not that many, but we're not that small of a group either. Um, and so there is from our end. When we meet uh, uh, other Palestinians or other Arabs that we normally don't have access to in Palestine, um, there is some bashfulness on our side, I feel, because we don't know how others would react if they knew where we are from or if they knew that we have an Israeli citizenship. Um, there is some bashfulness, but also there is, uh, I think there is the, there, there's this deep-seated fear that we're doing something wrong if we're talking to these people, right? Because there have been a lot of cases of, of uh, individuals who are arrested or interrogated simply for, you know, talking to some Lebanese people abroad that they happen to meet at a resort or something, you know? There's, this, is, this is a very common occurrence and people like us are very wary of that, of that moment when you have to introduce yourself or say where you're from. Like, my least favorite question when I meet new people is, where are you from? Because it's a bit of a headache. Um, I, I mean, I, I usually say I'm Palestinian. Um, I'll leave it at that. And then if they want to ask more, then I can tell them more. Right, right. Yeah, it's so interesting. Um, I mean, that, that makes perfect sense. But it also, it's just such an interesting moment in the story because usually characters meeting is like a moment of connection and there's all these sort of uh, dynamics between them that sort of keep them from connecting in that way. Right. Yeah. Um, there was a lovely line that really stood out to me. Um, Hadi says, Haifa is well and still very beautiful. She's waiting for all of you. Can you just talk about including that line? Is that like a common thing that people, people might say? I mean, specifically... Um... In the context, I think, of meeting someone from Gaza, Hadi is feeling weird because, again, he has an Israeli citizenship. He can move more freely, right? So he has an Israeli passport and it allows him to, um, to visit Europe without any problems, for example, and you know, travel around and, 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 live, and, uh, and uh, uh, live there or study there. It's, it's much easier. So... Just by a like a a 
probably a split-second decision that was made in 48 on uh, on part of uh, Hadi's family versus Ayad's family, let's say, if they came from somewhere else. Um, that's, that split-second decision uh, had ramifications that echo until the present day, right? So... I, Hadi is feeling this uh, this this burden of, of of privilege, right? So he wants to say he wants to say I'm on your side, even though I'm from Haifa, and it is his way of saying and like I'm on your side, and this is horrible. This sucks. You should be able to come to Haifa, and I should be able to go to Gaza. It's like a very um, it's, it's the shortest thing he can say that is not too cliche that signals to have to I it's sorry that he's on his side right oh that's great thanks for thanks for um yeah going into that I, I just I thought it was a really lovely line and I could tell that there was a lot of like there was a lot of meaning and weight in it yeah yeah so this story is from your 2012 story collection, but but I think this is the first time it's been translated and, and published in English. So I was just wondering, like, what's it like having it reach a whole new audience 10 years after it first came out? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, <laughs> these stories are quite old for me, and uh, uh, it's not easy to reread them and rework on them. Um, I, I did some edits when the comment contacted me about translating this particular story. I, I did some edits... Uh, compared to the original version, just because when I wrote these, I was much younger. And uh, <laughs> and uh, I think that now I have a, a, a much better sense of uh, what makes a dramatic moment or what makes a story more compelling. So I wanted to include some of that. Um, yeah, it was, uh, it's, it's been, it, it hasn't been easy to revisit these stories, I think. Uh, especially because a lot of these stories, I think my political awareness at the time still had not matured to the level that is to, that is today. So if I had written those stories today, they would have turned out quite different. I feel. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I appreciate you like being honest about that because <laughs> I think it is. It's very weird revisiting any stories you wrote ten years ago, um, and then so, about something like this where. Yeah, your sensibility about the issues involved has changed so much over time with with being with traveling and, and with being elsewhere and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I remember listening to uh, Lauren Groff talking about a story that she sort of wished she hadn't written and she wished she could take it back from when she was first starting out. But it's published and it's out there and, and um, just has to be kind of a snapshot of who you were at the time. But as a writer, that's like a nightmare. <laughs> no, exactly. And I feel like that's at least about one of the stories in the collection. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I you talked a little bit about the process of translation, but I, I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit more about like it, was there like a back and forth? Did you work with um, Hisham Bustani, who's our, our Arabic fiction editor, or or, or or with Amika, the translator? Was did they sort of come to you with options? I mean, you, you speak English yourself, so I'm assuming the process is is a little more involved. Yeah. So when Hisham contacted me uh, about translating the story, I told him from the very beginning that I'm very um, <laughs> I can be very OCD about translations. And he assured me that, uh, you know, there's nothing to worry about. You have the best translators. And um, and I found that to be true. So 
when Amika contacted me about the translation process, he, they had some questions for me, um, some suggestions. Uh, we had a bit of back and forth, uh, and that was it. So I didn't, I wasn't really involved very heavily in the translation process. I would say, uh, which, which was <laughs> not easy to relinquish <laughs> the control, but I wanted to try it for once. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I always, when I'm reading translations, I just, you always focus on the, the sentence level, but when I'm reading a translation, I'm always wondering about sort of every decision, every word. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> um, when we were scheduling this podcast, you mentioned that you had just defended your PhD thesis. So huge congratulations Thank on you. that. That's a big project. Um, I'm sure our listeners w- would sort of assume that you're studying literature or writing, but but I, I know that's not the case. Can you talk a little bit about your field of study? Yeah. So I, um, the easiest way to explain it is that I studied the neuroscience of language. So I study how the brain um comprehends language. So how, how the brain takes something that is uh, a physical stimulus, like a, a word, right? So light, or a, a sentence, let's say, uh, uh, like a written word or a spoken word or sentences, or any language stimulus, and turns that physical signal into something that it can comprehend, that it can attribute meaning to. Of course, that's a very complex process. Um, I study specific sub-processes within that, uh, and that involves um, uh, designing experiments that tap into different corners of language. Uh, I work a lot on Arabic, so I do a lot of experiments on Arabic speakers um, because I think that Arabic has some properties that allow us to tap into um, some uh, very elusive parts of language that it would be difficult to query with other languages. Um, and yeah, I'm uh, very excited to have just finished. <laughs> it's been very long years, but uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. That's so interesting. I mean, just thinking about you studying that specifically, and then I can kind of understand why you might be sort of picky about translation. <laughs> yeah. You know, having a sense of how, how the brain really processes those those words in different languages yeah. yeah so i i mean i my um my whole life i've been like back and forth between the sciences and literature and like at some point i came to the realization that my real passion is languages um learning languages studying languages writing and using language so i'm sort of doing all of that um <laughs> uh, in as many uh, modes as i can yeah, that's true. Those don't have to be two separate <laughs> things. Yeah. yeah. Um, so always our last question is just to sort of find out what you're working on now, like what's next from you, either either in terms of writing or in your, your neuroscience career. Right. So I'm about to start a uh, postdoctoral fellowship in Spain, in San Sebastián. <laughs> yeah, uh, going back to Spain. Um, so I will be there starting the fall hopefully. In terms of writing projects, um, I am currently working on uh, a bunch of short stories. Each, uh, So I'm working on four stories, each inspired by one of my grandparents, uh, because I think, that, I mean, every Palestinian family has very rich stories to tell. And I think that my particular family has, has very... Um, has a very uh, tragic 
um, history, but it's uh, it, I mean it's colored by obviously settler colonialism and war in the Middle East, but also in Europe because uh, my maternal my paternal grandmother um, was a Polish Jew. So I'm I'm working on these stories, and I hope to. Uh, I'm writing them in English, though, this time. Uh, I've been toying with the idea for a while and uh, just exploring what writing in English is like. So, And I think I've, I'm really liking it, so I might do it more. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Um, yeah, I know you had some reservations about, yeah, maybe having this story out in the world again in a different version, but I'm, I'm just really glad that, that we were able to publish it and that people are able to read it because, I, I, you know, just talking with you today, I just I'm I'm glad that we can give space to these to these topics. Yeah, thank you so much, uh, Emily, and uh, really for the magazine. First of all, for doing an issue on Palestine, I think that's not something that we can take for granted. And uh, the fact that you're giving space for Palestinian stories is is very important, and I, I hope that others will follow suit. Yes, I hope so too. I'm I'm so glad we have them. Um, it's been really great talking with you. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Emily. Listeners, you can read Suhail's story and subscribe to the latest issue at thecommononline.org.